Uh, last week we took a, just a quick break uh, from the series we're on, The One, The Word, The Revealer. Um, uh, I have one more week left of this, and then we get right into Advent. But the reason I'm doing this mini-series is to refocus on who is the one that is holding all things together. Who is the one our faith is in, who we receive our faith from? There's a lot of deconstruction going on where people are unlearning and challenging all their beliefs, which is great. We need to be able to have questions for everything. It's when you're not allowed to ask questions, there's a problem, okay? But when you deconstruct even Jesus out of the picture, I have a problem with that. And that's okay. If that's your journey, I, am, I can't follow that one. Because to me, everything I'm learning, and as I'm unlearning the system of religion, systems that kind of try to control people, manipulate people. When that's being unlearned, guess what's happening? My love for God is getting bigger. My perspective of who God is, who the Trinity is, is exploding with new wonder. And my love for humans is changing. Like, really, if you're not seeing others better and your love for others, if that's not expanding... Something is not growing in the faith, the faith that's been given to you. So I'm trying to zoom back in to some of these really core, important verses, verses we have read many times, but we may not have read carefully. I've had texts pointed out to me, not phone texts, Bible texts, uh, pointed out to me that uh, I've read my whole life and never saw what was shown to me by someone else. We don't need a revival. You've heard about that word. I grew up with church. we got to pray for revival. You know, rev up the folks again. Step on that gas. Get them all pumped up. That's not what revival is. I think what we need is revelation. And the people that have been praying for revival all those years, I think it's here. By way of deconstruction, unlearning, calling into account, rediscovering some core foundations that were there all along, but we weren't told about them. Or you were stuck in a certain camp, a tribe, a denomination that wouldn't allow you to see outside of your group. What? There's some good news here too? Like, this is what I'm finding. I love it. I love what I'm learning. Yeshua. Ha! Good morning, Yeshua. Thank you for your song. Don't forget to send it to me in, in Dropbox. I want to read this before we get into things. The blessing hidden in grief. This past Wednesday, I had a conversation um, on how do we grieve in this difficult time. I had an interview with Catherine Toon, and uh, I was on her podcast, so I borrowed the video and showed it on mine. She, she gave me permission. <laughs> um, but the loss part is big, and I want to just share this with you because it's very timely. This just came in this week. What, do, what to do with our losses? We must mourn our losses. We cannot talk or act them away, but we can shed tears over them and allow ourselves to grieve deeply. To grieve is to allow our losses to tear apart feelings of security and safety and lead us to the painful truth of our brokenness. Our grief makes us experience the abyss of our own life in which nothing is settled clear or obvious, but everything constantly shifting and changing. But in the midst of all this pain, there's a strange, shocking, yet very surprising voice. It is the voice of the one who says, 
Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. That's the unexpected news. There is a blessing hidden in the grief. And there are people grieving. Grieving the loss of loved ones physically who've died. Grieving the loss of relationships. Grieving the loss of hopes and dreams. Lots of grief going on. It's real. Not those who comfort are blessed, but those who mourn. Somehow in the midst of our tears, a gift is hidden. Somehow in the midst of our mourning, the first steps of the dance take place. Somehow the cries that well up from our losses belong to our songs of gratitude. I thought that was really good. The one, the word, the revealer. Who is Jesus really? Well, I'm going to go to Mars Hill for just a moment. The text in Acts chapter 17. This was one of those, one of two biggies uh, of, of verses I've read my whole life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, my God's bigger than all these other gods. That's, I got the story. Fine. Until it was pointed out. Read slower. Don't let your ADHD rip through these things. and Slow down. And I reread and reread. And again, it took pointing out. None of us are that smart to figure it all out, okay? We need each other. And nothing is new. It's not new teaching. It's new to you. It might be new to me, but it's not new. And that's really, really important. So almost all the questions that have ever been asked have been asked hundreds of times. There's room for questions, and I believe there are answers for everyone. It's going to take time to find them, but I'm going to tell you this. Don't rush ahead of God in finding those answers. Because you can try to in your own man-made way and doing it from the emotional state you're in today when God's waiting for you to chill, and then he'll show you because you're not ready right now. Sometimes we rush and try to help God out. I'm really good at that. It's a spiritual gift of mine. But Mars Hill, what happened there? He is now speaking. This is the Apostle Paul. There's a whole bunch of altars to all kinds of gods, all right? And then there's one called the unknown God. And finally, Paul says, I am going to tell you all about that God. And here's what he says. In Acts 17, 28, it says, For in him we live and move and exist, even as some of your own poets have said, and he's quoting now, for we also are his children. Okay, take a look for a moment at what the Jews did. The Jews are very much, the, the story we're reading, the ones that Jesus confronted, the Jewish culture, is very much like our Western evangelical Christian culture. It really is. They're just so right. We're right and you're wrong. It's us versus them. The Jews were awesome at pointing out their list of who's clean and unclean. Really, they were really good at judging. Where do you think we get it from? It's a system of religion. By the way, your deconstruction, unlearning, and rebuilding and renewing and having an awakening will lead you to less judging. That's another fruit of growing in grace. But here he's saying we're all his children. Well, wait a minute. The Jews said, no, no, no. We are the chosen children of God. You heathens are not. In fact, we have a good word for you. Unclean. 
ooh, that'll just cozy me up warm to want to become a Jewish person, doesn't it? <laughs> we do that. We call it, well, what does the church do? Oh, we are believers. We are Christians. You're not. You're an unbeliever. And we have all these separation terms because we're just so much better. Jesus did not come to send that kind of a message. Not at all. And here we have a slight little snapshot of Paul even saying, we're all God's children. In the uh, First Nations version, it says, he did this so that all people could look for him and find the trail that leads to him. Creator is not far away from any one of us. It is through him that we live, walk, and have our being. I love that. But take a look at what Paul says. It's in him we live and move and exist. We're in Christ. All of humanity is all of creation is in Christ. That made me wonder, well, then how did Jesus enter himself? If all creation's in him, he entered the world, he entered himself. That's just weird. But it's true. It gets better. Another translation, Passion Translation says, it is through him that we live and function and have our identity. There it is. That is a brilliant translation. Just as your own poets have said, our lineage comes from him, the same source. Paul's quoting two classical Greek writers. And the funniest part is him to Zeus. Like, when people, especially well-churched people, who, if it's, you know, we only use biblical sources. <laughs> Look what Paul does. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Our nature comes from him, as translated from the Aramaic. The Greek is, we are his offspring. The Greek word is genos, which means kindred, family. Same genes, which makes us all one. Let that sink in for just a moment. Please don't hear me scream a dogmatic universalism. I'm not. I, I, I don't claim to be a universalist. But I think the work of Adam, which universally affected everybody, so people, if they believe that, they're universalist in one way. Chuckle, haha. But if Adam is so much greater than Jesus, because Jesus came and he couldn't change everybody, hang on. We have some thinking to do about our terminology. It might mean that what we've been told certain words mean, we need to revisit, go, ha, huh, that's a very narrow perspective. Maybe there's a better, more hope-filled lens that we need to see through to see Jesus bigger and better than what we've been told. The Bible plainly says, <laughs> run from that person, Okay? Colossians 3.10, and we have put on the new self who is being renewed or renovated. I love that. Oh, I love that. To a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, not Greeks either by birth or culture, Sicilian, slave, freeman, but Christ is all and in some. Is that, what, is that what it says? No. Well, maybe the NASB got it wrong. Hang on. Let's go to the message, which some people don't see as a translation, but it's a great flowing mindset. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your way of life is custom made by the Creator. 
with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious or irreligious, insider, outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. This is an objective truth. There are many who are in Christ who do not know it, nor do they believe it, and they walk in their darkness, and they will experience their own hell of unbelief. That doesn't change the fact they're included. I'm not making this up. Colossians 3 from the Passion Translation. For you have acquired new creation life, which is continually being (coughs) renewed into the likeness of the one who created you, giving you the full revelation of God. Oh, oh, back up. Oh, my goodness, that was amazing. For you've acquired a new creation life, which is continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you, giving you the full revelation of God. Who is the one who gives you revelation? It's Jesus. Not some preacher, not the Bible. Jesus. Incredible. In this new creation life, your nationality makes no difference. Nor your ethnicity, education, nor economic status. They matter nothing. For it is Christ that means everything. As he lives in, oops, every one of us. There is neither Jew nor Scythians, circumcision or uncircumcision, neither Greek nor barbarian, neither slave nor free, but Messiah is all and in all. Go read it in your own translation. I believe this is really true. I never saw the words all so bluntly before. When it was pointed out to me, that's when my jaw hit the floor. It's like, Because I always thought, okay, yeah, but, what about? Because I got what about questions, don't you? Everybody's got what about. Well, what about that verse? What about this verse? That's great. We've had those answers most of our religious life. Okay? You've got a great collection of verses to rebut this. But have you stopped to take this in? And the ones I've been sharing the last couple weeks. Let this sink in, for this expresses an even greater, wider net of God's love. Colossians 3, 10 to 11 from the First Nations version. Again, I'm giving you multiple translations because there's a kind of a theme here. Instead, begin to walk in the ways of the new person you have been created to be. This new person is being created to look like the Great Spirit and to think his thoughts. The chosen one is all in all. In the chosen one, there are no longer insiders or outsiders, or those who ceremonially cut the flesh and those who do not. We no longer see ourselves or others as uncivilized ruffian slaves or free, for there is only the chosen one. All are in him, and he is in all. This will mess up many people's theology. Good. Because our theology is a cubbyhole. And if it's locked tight, you're in trouble. I've had to deduct and deconstruct, but the one thing that 
I find most important, wondering, oh, am I going to lose my faith? Can I de- deconstruct all the way out and have no faith? Uh, my pendulum could go there if I wanted it to, but I trusted Jesus to be with me on that deconstruction journey, to be the one who whispers in my ear truth and hope. I know people who've really gone way off the wrong end, and that's okay. We're friends. I also know some who have come back to a more center and realized, okay, just Jesus. Just Jesus. That's all I can handle right now. You and I are not in charge of other people's spiritual journeys. We're not the right and wrong police to correct. Hope but be ready in every season to give a word to any questions that come your way. Really? What if you're on your own journey? You don't have to be the answer person. That's called a know-it-all. And there's dogmatism and arrogance about it. And I'm embarrassed looking back at the arrogance of my church upbringing and world. And yet I'm thankful for my church upbringing for they showed me Jesus. I believe the intents of their hearts were good. Yeah, even my Baptist church. Go figure. (laughs) You know, they showed me the stories I, ex- I received a spiritual revelation through that journey. I received another one through a Brethren in Christ journey, through a Pentecostal church journey, through a charismatic journey, through a free Methodist journey, through a United Church journey, through Christian Missionary Alliance journey. Like, I'm multi-tribal, seriously. I've been a part of so many denominations. Each one, by having such a spread of influences, I... It's been a gift, not a curse. And it's growing. Being exposed to the Orthodox Church. Revisiting the Catholic Church. There there is good news to be found in them. Nobody's got it all correct. And how long has Protestantism been around? 400 years? Well, I guess all those 1,500 years before were wrong because we got it right now. (laughs) No. The expression of Christ in all is coming out because nobody can capture it all. It's coming out through Megan, directly through her, her way. Through Carrie, your way. Through Owen, Owen's way. Christ is being revealed and coming out and a message in light is coming out. We need to listen from each, to each other, hear each other. Ephesians 4, 6. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering if there's another verse that kind of says this. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Thank you. See, there's people here. I've got to make use of that, right? (laughs) The message translation, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. (laughs) From the Passion Translations, works through us all and lives in us all. From the Mirror Translation, he is present in all. He is above all, through all, and in all. And from the First Nations Translation, there is one great spirit and father of us all who is above all and who works in and through all. I like how it says it works in and through all. Because many people believe God can only work through the church or Christian-y thingies, like Christian tracks and movies and music. 
I promise you, God is not working just through that. He's, he's using that for some folks. That's nice. But man, God is revealing himself through all creation. In every part of the world, every nationality, culture, you name it. You cannot say it, but we're right. And then you raise up arms and go fight and dominate countries to Christianize them. Oh my goodness. I'm serious. Like This has really made me think. Missions... In evangelism in a very different way. It really has. I'm not going to go there today because I don't want to get in too much trouble. I'm already in trouble. 2 Corinthians 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ, Jesus, as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Stop there for a moment. We preach Christ. We don't preach ourselves as in to make a ministry, to have an influence. <laughs> and then, what does it say about ourselves? Instead, as bondservants, Imagine if that were to actually happen today in the church where the, we'd actually want to become servants to one another. Just imagine how incredible the church would be. Let that sink in for just a moment. That's big. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. There are many people who have the light of Christ in them. We talked about the all, Christ is in all. I like using the illustration of light. It's easier to handle from my religious packaging growing up, because it's still, still hard to hear Christ is in all. Like, wait a minute. That just, that sounds good to be true. And yet, I can see light shining through all humanity, every person, but it's not perceived. How do we know light's in everyone? Huh. Funny you asked. Lord, this is, this is David now praying. This is an acknowledgement of the one who has received light is now speaking back to the source of the light. You have searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word in my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all. Isn't that scary, folks? Sorry, I thought it was funny. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Heads up. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Why? Because all of creation is in Christ, and Christ holds all things together. There is no separation or escape from God. It's impossible to be separated from God, except in your mind. 
If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. Listen to this. Here it is. And the night is as bright as the day. Last sentence. Darkness and light are alike to you. Ooh, there's another conflict. Because then we say, well, they're in darkness and we're in light. Well, hang on. To God, it's no different. Matthew 6, 22 and 23. I love this one. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then, here it is, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Wow. But the light's still there. But if the light that's there, if you perceive it as darkness, oh my goodness, how great is that darkness? You can't perceive who God is and the, the light of his love. That's darkness. That's unbelief. Luke 11. The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. <laughs> if therefore your whole body is full of light, with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illuminated as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. I love Young's literal translation. It says, take heed then, lest the light that is in thee is be darkness. <laughs> There's a lot on light. There's a lot of stuff in Scripture on light. Light is sown like seed for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Light is sown. Do you know you and I are sowing light wherever we go? We also can sow darkness in our harshness of words, in our judgments of our terms, of how we speak to one another, in our tones. But we also speak light. We really do. Click, kind sir. Okay, 1 Timothy 4.10. I love this. Savior of all men, especially these. Have you, anybody seen that before? There's a lot of all going on here, but this is a really big text that we don't talk about much. Let me share with you what it looks like. Can I have the click again, please, Russ? It's not working. Yeah, there we go. 1 Timothy 4.10. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of those who are believers. First huh. Timothy 4.10 from the Passion Translation. For the sake of this ministry, we toil tirelessly and are criticized continually simply because our hope is in the living God. Imagine that. He is the wonderful life giver of all the children of men and even more so to those who believe. Hmm. Titus 2 verse 11. Somebody probably thought, are you going to talk about that one? Yep. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all mankind. New Living Translation says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all 
people. Young's literal translation says, For the saving grace of God was manifested to all men and women. Okay, all, it's for all people. That's what it's saying. Keep in mind, if you're going to find one word, like the word salvation or saved, and have been prescribed a definition for it and never questioned that definition, you're going to have a hard time reading the scriptures. Because there's three different types of tones of saved and salvation. Been saved, being saved, will be saved. Okay? Those are legitimate concepts all through. So this extreme dogmatism of universalism, I can't buy into. Because we don't know. We have much hope, though. Much hope. And I believe this is still real. The salvation has come to all. How? Through the light in them. How? By being connected to Christ. Remember we talked about Colossians 1? Uh, all things are held together by Christ. All the DNA, all the chairs, the molecules, the clouds, the building. You, all humans are being held together by Christ. There is no separation. Now you start to see, wait a minute. Okay, now I can start to see how some of this could be understood. <clears throat> I hope you're getting stressed a little bit. I hope I didn't push anybody off the chair, but... To me, I love this now. I cannot unsee it. And to me, it's so exciting because it changes the way I see other people. Ephesians 2, 8 to 13 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. That's when you opened up and awoke to it. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. So, well, people say we're saved by faith. But whose faith? The faith of Christ, not your own. None of us have our own faith. Every bit of faith you have has been given to you. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Many people try. For we are God's masterpiece. Not a piece of work, but a masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it only affected their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in his world without knowing God and without hope. God happened to choose the Jewish people to bring his story into humanity. It was his choice. Why? <laughs> Ask him when you see him. I don't have a clue. None of us do. But that's the heritage. And that was only for a time because when Christ died, we died. We were placed into Christ. All of humanity died with Christ. When Jesus rose, we all rose. What's that called? Born again. So this idea you must be, uh, you already have. Technically, objectively, but not everybody believes it. Therefore, they're not experiencing a salvation life. So in a sense, there is a not saved in their mind. They need salvation. They need saving. Okay, Do you understand there are multiple ways to see this now. It doesn't have to be the black and white us versus them that we're so used to. <laughs> but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. That's where he took all humanity together. 
in one spot, one time, once and for all. And once and for all does not mean, um, I'm done with this, this thing once and for all, no more. That's not what it means. Once and for all. A lot of alls in the Bible. I didn't realize that. With that, I think that's enough because that's a lot. And we're going to finish up next week with even more. Yeah, there's more. There's another epiphany. Again, comes from the book of Acts. This time it's Peter who wakes up to a revelation that he did not see coming. And it was that particular story that hit me the hardest. And I'll tell you next week. Don't forget this week, uh, your online donations and register. Set your alarms in your calendar. <coughs> um, and then uh, do it by Saturday, 5 p.m. if best you can. And we look forward to seeing you next week as well, those who want to come in person. And uh, in two weeks, it's Advent. So pretty exciting. Thank you for watching. Thank you for being here, those who are here in person. Hope you all, hope you all have a great week.